before I begin preaching on Colossians chapter 4, wanted to tell you a couple announcements coming up as we enter the Advent season. First is next Sunday, we're going to start something new. We've never done this before, but we're going to have a Sunday evening Advent series. And it's going to be based on the songs of Christmas. So we're going to be singing a lot of carols, a lot of hymns. And we're also going to be looking at the four songs that were sung in the Christmas narrative, the the song of Zechariah, the song of Mary, the song of the angels, and the song of Simeon. And uh, you'll hear a message from uh, each uh, pastor. Um, We'll have uh, different pastor preach each week uh, and or pastoral staff that will preach. And so come next Sunday, 6 p.m. for a special evening series. And December 10th is going to be our big uh, Christmas concert that our worship team and choir have worked hard on. And uh, you won't want to miss that one on December 10th. The second thing is uh, the first weekend of December, uh, we're going to start our Sunday morning Christmas series, and we're going to be going through the book of 1 John. And so be sure on the way out to pick up one of these scripture illuminated journals the next two Sundays, as we'll be going through uh, verse by verse uh, the, the, the letter of 1 John, and it'll go through the beginning of the first of the year. Uh, so please be sure to pick one of those up as we start that the first weekend of December. So we've got two sermons left as we look at this great letter of the Colossians. And turn with me now, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. This is God's word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. The last few weeks, as we've gone through this great letter of Colossians, we've talked about how believers are to uh, function in their home and the relationships from within their home, whether it's husband and wife, parent and children, or even as you work with people in your home and even outside the home. But now Paul, at the latter end of his letter, he shifts focus on how believers are to engage with non-believers and engage with the world. And that's what verses two through six are all about. And the first thing he says as we prepare to engage with non-believers is we need to be filled with prayer. We need to be people who are prayed up before we begin to talk to non-Christians. And there's three things he mentions about prayer in verse two. The first thing he said is that we as believers are to pray steadfastly. To, be, to continue steadfastly in prayer. What does it mean to pray with steadfastness? It means to be diligent in our prayers. It means to be devoted to prayer throughout our daily living. It means to make prayer part of our daily ritual and routine and rhythm. As I think about this, I think about Daniel. And you remember when he was arrested because he was praying to God and not to the king? It mentioned how Daniel prayed three times a day. He made that part of his daily rhythm. Three times a day, Daniel would take the time to pray. There's a Psalm, Psalm 119, verses 164, and it says this, seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. 
The psalmist who wrote this psalm, he mentioned that he prayed seven times a day. That was part of just his daily rhythm. And what Paul is telling us before we engage with non-Christians, we need to be prayed up because when we pray to the Lord, it keeps us vertically in tune with the fact that God is in control of all things, that he's with us as we live our lives. And it keeps us heavenly minded as we talk to him, as we pray to him. And that's why we are to pray with steadfastness. We are to be people who are devoted to prayer. The second thing he mentioned though is not just praying with steadfastness, but also to be watchful in our prayers, to be on alert, just like a security guard is to keep watch over his property or over his over the people, and the security guard would not be or the security guard would not be found sleeping because the enemy would come in and that would be pointless, right? In the same way, Paul is saying, as believers, we are to pray by being awake, by being alert. We are to be watchful. And prayer is a weapon against Satan and against temptation, against distractions as we pray. So we are to stay awake. There was a pastor, his name was Oswald J. Smith. He was the pastor of the People's Church in Toronto. And he was known to pray on his knees, but when he would get tired, he would literally stand up and pace the room praying out loud. It was, it was so interesting that his worship director would, would travel with him and do different, uh, you know, revival type services. And the worship director would say that his pastor would be praying for miles. He would be walking, pacing the room for miles. And I have done this before. I'm just being vulnerable here. There's been times where I have actually fallen asleep because I've been laying down before I go to bed and I'll pray and then I'll fall asleep. That's not how you need to pray. <laughs> So word of the wise, don't pray when you're sleeping, when you're, when you're laying down. But if, if you are to pray, stand up, walk around. I've, I've even come in here sometimes and walk around praying just to keep my mind focused on the Lord and to, and to keep alert. And so that's a practice that we are to do as we pray is to, is to be watchful, to stay awake, to stay alert. But the third thing that Paul mentions, and I think this is one of the most important verses of the Bible when it comes to Thanksgiving week, he tells us to pray with thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. And what I love about this week in America is we take the time as a nation to just pause and give thanks for the freedoms that we have. Think about the Puritans and the pilgrims and just the the storyline of the first Thanksgiving and what took place and how they sacrificed and they came so that they could worship the Lord freely. Well, now we're worshiping the Lord freely today and we have so much to be thankful for. And as we prepare to engage with the world, we need to be people of thanksgiving. We need to be thankful for all the blessings that God has given us. We also need to be thankful for the salvation that he's given us, the gift of salvation, eternal life that he's given us, his people. And as we are thankful for the gift of salvation, we begin to focus on people who don't have that gift. And we begin to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, just as you changed my heart, so will you change my friend's heart or my my family member's heart? Because if you can change my heart, that was filthy and sinful and wicked, you can change anybody's heart. And so as people of God, we are to be the most thankful people out there. 
We are to be people who are content, who are to live lives of gratitude because we've been given so much. And as we've been prayed up, we'll then be fueled to go and reach the lost and to interact with non-believers. And that's what verses three and four talk about here. When Paul said, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul is saying to the believer, don't just be prayed up, but pray for open doors so that the message of God can go through it and and impact people's lives and change their hearts. Paul knew that only God could open the door of salvation in people's hearts. Only God could change souls. And that's why he was asking the Colossians, please pray that God will give me opportunities to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to them. He was in chains. He was literally chained up to a prison guard. And so he was praying for opportunities to speak to that prison guard. He had plenty of opportunities to speak to that guy. But he was also asking, well, if the Lord wills that I am released from prison, may he open up more opportunities for me to declare his message to this lost world. That even if I were to remain in prison, I just ask you, Colossians, please pray that he will give me more and more opportunities to to speak to people about Jesus. You know, this whole idea of an open door, it's mentioned three different times throughout the New Testament. And what it refers to is a divine appointment where God gives his people a, a chance to speak to non-believers about him. The open door means a door of utterance, a door of words. First Corinthians 16, Paul wrote these words about the open door. He said, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. A wide door for effective work has opened to me. Acts chapter 14, verse 27, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. You see that? He opened a door for the word uh, to, to be declared to a people who didn't know him. And then 2 Corinthians 2, I thought this was interesting. He wrote these words, Paul, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open to me for the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. He's saying, even though God had opened a door, my, my brother Titus wasn't there. And so I, I needed to go elsewhere. And God was leading me elsewhere. But God was the one who opened the door for me to, to share his good news. So as people, we don't just need to be prayed up before we, we interact with non-believers, but we need to pray that God would open a door so that we can have an opportunity to share the reason for the hope that we have in him. I like what John Piper said about this. He said, we are to pray the locks off of people's hearts. Isn't that a good visual to think about? We are to pray the locks. You know, before Jesus changes our hearts, our hearts are locked up. They're not open So we are to pray that God would open up the hearts of the lost so that they would receive his word in faith. There was a missionary, his name was Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, he spent many, most of his life in China, reaching the Chinese people. And when he got there, he started meeting people uh, who were doing similar ministries uh, throughout China. 
And there were about five different agencies that he went and met with. He met with these different missionaries who were, who were doing a great work for the Lord. But as he was going on these uh, different trips, he noticed there was one ministry that stood out amongst the others. One ministry was baptizing people left and right. They were leading people to Christ. They were, they were planting churches. And, and, and all the other ministries, they were doing essentially the same thing. They were all preaching faithfully. Uh, they, were, they were teaching God's word. They were discipling people. But he went to this one ministry and he said, what, what are you doing differently than these other ministries? I don't understand. And they said, well, we're, we're kind of being faithful. We're teaching the word. We're discipling people. We're serving the community. But he said, what about your prayer life? And, and, and his friend, it was actually a friend in college who started this ministry. His friend said, well, Hudson, when I started this ministry, I committed to pray for this ministry every single day. And Hudson Taylor said, that's it. That is what has made your ministry even more effective than the other ministries because you've prayed about it. I'm telling you, my friends, prayer works. Prayer fuels ministry. And so there's a couple things I want you to think about as we, as we approach Thanksgiving week and as we approach the holiday season. You know, number one, I just want, to, I want you to, to really think about all the blessings God has given you, all the gifts, all the things in which you are to be thankful, thankful for good health, thankful for family to see, thankful for a good job, for a car, thankful for the food in your refrigerator or in the pantry. You know, how often do we do that? You know, thankful for the clothes that we have in, in, in our closet. You know, I, I would encourage you to take the time this week to be thankful and then really to thank him for, your, for the salvation that he's given you. But the second thing I would encourage you to do is, is to pray that God will open up doors of conversation for you with your lost family members, with the friends that you're about to see. Let's be honest. Some of us are not excited about Thanksgiving because we gotta be around people we don't really wanna be around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some of those family members, it's like, well, everybody's got that uncle or everybody's got that, that in-law, you know? Oh, I gotta see this person. You know, instead of having that attitude, perhaps you could ask the Lord, okay, Lord, prepare me to not have a bad attitude when I gotta see Uncle Larry. But instead, get me prepared. Get me prepared to have a good thoughtful conversation with negative Nancy or Debbie Downer. You know, prepare me for those conversations. And I pray that you'll open the door for a good conversation with them. That's what Paul was getting out in, in, in these first few verses. He said, we are to pray to God about people. But the second part of, this, of these verses, he's saying, we are, to, we are to talk to people about God. The first section is we, we talk to God about people. The second section is now we talk to people about God. And there's two ways in which we talk to people about God. We do so by our lives and we do so by our lips. Verse five, he went on to say, we are to walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. So how do we talk to people about God? We talk to them by our lives, by the way we conduct ourselves, by the way we live. What believers are gives credibility to what they say. What we are will give credibility to what we say to them. Now, you've heard me say this before, and you know this. A lot of people have left the church because of the people in the church. They, they, they see people that are not practicing what they're preaching. They, they see hypocrites, and they say, I want nothing to do with the church because of the people in the church. They're just nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. 
Well, what Paul is telling the church of Colossians to do is he's saying, I encourage you to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. You know, to really be careful about what you say and how you live, about how you respond to certain situations because people are watching you, whether you like it or not. And here's the thing I would say is that all of us are going to fail. All of us are gonna say something dumb or we're gonna do something senseless and foolish. But when we do, especially around non-believers, we need to be quick to admit it, to own it, and quick to apologize and say, you know what, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have done that. Please forgive me. I know I'm not perfect, but let me tell you about someone who is perfect. Let me tell you about this Jesus because he is perfect. That's how we are to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. But then Paul went on to say, don't just walk in wisdom and think about what you're doing and what you're saying, but make the best use of your time. Another translation says, be wise in the way you act. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most do you know what the most means in Greek? It means to see something, to buy up something. What Paul is saying here is when you're around non-believers, you seize that opportunity to talk to them because you may not have that opportunity again. As I'm thinking about buying and seizing, I think about Black Friday and some of y'all are getting ready for those deals and discounts. You're already searching online. Some of you might wait in line I think those days are kind of over because a lot of people buy their stuff early online. But anyway, you get my point. A lot of you are waiting for that right deal so that you can seize that opportunity. That's what Paul's getting at here. He's saying, make the most of every opportunity by seizing the moment. So when God opens that door and you begin to have that conversation, seize it, take advantage of it. And a lot of us may have that opportunity this week at Thanksgiving. We might have that opportunity at Christmas and as I would encourage you, just as Paul did to the Colossians, I would encourage you to seize that opportunity. Be good stewards of that opportunity. Make the most of that opportunity. I want you to imagine a billionaire giving you $1,440 a day. And you can spend it or you could give it away, but you can't save it. At the end of the day, you need to have spent or you need to have given $1,440 a day. You can't hoard it, you can't save it. Well, if you think about it, that's what God has given us. He has given us 1,440 minutes a day to spend and we don't get it back. Time is a non-renewable resource. And God is saying, make the most of your time you know, today we're celebrating my youngest's birthday. She's seven. She just turned seven yesterday. We're gonna have a big party. We're gonna go ice skating today. So you can pray for me that I don't fall. But we're gonna go with all these 15 to 27-year-olds and we're gonna have a blast. But I bring this up because I'm blinking and my daughters are getting older. I'm blinking and my son is getting older. We just celebrated three birthdays in three weeks. It's been crazy. But as I, as I celebrate, I'm just blinking and I'm thinking, wow, where has the time gone? Time flies. What Paul is saying here is make the most of the time you've been given. Steward it well. You've been given 1,440 minutes a day. Steward it well. 
So we can, we can win people by our lives, but we need to earn their trust. And I like what the founder of Young Life, a lot of you are involved in Young Life, Jim Rayburn, he said this, Christians should earn the right to be heard. We should earn the right to be heard. And so again, as we think about reaching the lost and engaging with our non-believing family and friends, we need to earn the right to be heard. And how do you earn it? Well, you, you live faithfully, you follow up with them, you love them, you serve them, and you're quick to admit when you're wrong, and that's hard to do. So how do we engage the lost? Well, we do so by our lives, but we also do so by our lips. And that's where he gets that in verse six. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech be gracious. What does it mean to be gracious? It means to be gentle. It means to be truthful, thoughtful, considerate, loving, humble. That's what it means to be gracious. So as you speak to your family members this week, remember this verse. How can I be gracious in what I say? Because they're really annoying me. How can I be gracious when I'm irritated? How can I show them grace just as God has shown me grace? But Paul goes on to say, as we speak, we gotta be speaking as if we are seasoned with salt. And when you think about salt, there's, there's really three things that salt does. The first thing that salt does is it adds zest to things. It adds a sense of tang. And so when you talk to people about Jesus, you don't need to say, hey, everybody, I wanna tell you about this Jesus. You know, there's no life to that. But instead you say, hey, guess what? I wanna tell you about this Jesus. You know what he's done for me? <laughs> he saved my wretched life and he can save you too. You know who this Jesus is? He's amazing. You know the kind of miracles he did? You know the authority that he spoke at? You know why he came to this earth and died? He did it for you. You gotta add some, some tang, some zest when you talk to people about Jesus. You don't need to be like this. You say, hey, I got this Jesus I wanna tell you about. He's amazing, right? You gotta have some passion. You gotta have some oomph to you when you talk about Jesus, right? So it's gotta be seasoned with salt. It's gotta be tangy and zestful. But the other thing it does when you, salt is it decays. It, it, it eliminates, it begins to get rid of corruption. And as you talk positively and as you talk about Jesus and you're positive and you're thankful, then the, the, the negativity around you will start to dissipate. And people might stop cursing. They might start, their, they might stop their coarse joking. They might start saying, oh, okay, yeah, he's pretty positive. Maybe I need to be too. You know, Christians should be the most engaging people out there. We should be fun. We should have life to us. People should wanna be around us because of Jesus. And that's what salt does. It, it adds a little flavor to it. It also can decay corruption. But the third thing it does is it creates thirst. You know, after you talk to your non-believing family member or friend, they should want to talk to you again. They shouldn't say, well, that was really boring and dull. They should say, wow, that person really engaged thoughtfully in some of the questions I was asking about Christianity or, or they really are intriguing. I want to talk to them again. That's what it means to have speech that's seasoned with salt. You leave, you leave people wanting more. And so I would encourage you this week, going into Christmas, 
Pray and ask the Lord to help you in your conversations with your family members and friends. Help him to provide a little passion in you as you talk about Jesus, as you talk about what you're thankful for, as you talk about the Christmas season and why we even celebrate every year at Christmas. Talk to them about it and ask the Lord to give you some umph in your conversation. Give you a little zest and tang. Make them want more. I wanna learn more about this Jesus. But the other thing as we think about here, what Paul ends up saying here is, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You know, we don't just talk with passion, but we need to know what we're talking about. Please don't get in the habit of telling your non-believing family member, well, it just takes faith. They're gonna want more than that. You know, I heard, I heard of a story of a, of a man who, who, who was an Irish man and years ago, he was asked by a non-believing friend, you know, what do you believe? And he said, well, I believe what the church believes. And they said, well, what does the church believe? And he said, well, I believe, or the church believes what I believe. And they said, well, what do both of you believe? And they said, well, we believe the same thing. You know, that doesn't help anybody. When somebody asks you, what do you believe? Give them a thoughtfelt answer. Don't go into a 10-minute dissertation, but give them a, a couple, couple main points, you know? This is what I believe. This is why I believe it. Jesus is amazing. Let me tell you about him. And let me tell you how I'm a sinful, a sinner, and how he saved me from my sin. And this is how he did it. You know, that's what I'm talking about. That's what Paul's saying here is as you engage in conversation, be wise in how you act and what you say, but give, them, give it some substance. And that's why at Christ's covenant, we are all about discipleship. When you come here, we want you to know the truth so that you can communicate the truth but in a loving, in a winsome way, in a gracious way. 1 Peter 3.15, we are to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. So the four things I want you to think about this week. Number one, I want you to think about all the things in which you are to be thankful for. Not all, but, but just Throughout the day, just look around your house, look around your work and say, Lord, thank you for that. Look at all the people that God has put in your life. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for salvation. The second thing is ask the Lord for an opportunity to communicate the gospel to a family member that you might not like or even a friend that you'll see during the holiday season. The third thing is ask the Lord to help you to live a life that is worthy of the gospel, to walk with wisdom. And then the fourth thing is ask the Lord to give you a little umph as you talk to that non-believer, to, to fill you with passion and give you the right words to say so that you can answer the questions. And if you don't answer it and you don't know the, quest, the answer, just tell them, hey, let me get back with you, but get back with them with the answer. Some of you like me have been praying for your lost family members and friends for a lot of your life. And you're wondering, well, what's the point of this? Are they ever going to change? Because I'm not seeing any change at all. I wanna end with an example of George Mueller. George Mueller was a missionary in the 1800s and he had five friends that were non-believers that he prayed for every single day. And you know what's interesting is he prayed that God would change their hearts. Year five, after George Mueller started praying, his first friend came to faith. Year 10, his second friend came to faith. Year 25, his third friend came to faith. Year 50, towards the end of his life, his fourth friend came to faith. It was two years after his funeral where his fifth friend came to faith. 
Now, what is a big reason why all five of his friends came to faith? It's because he prayed. And he didn't just pray once or twice. He prayed regularly and faithfully, pleading to the Lord that he would unlock their hearts. In the same way, God is not finished with you yet. And he may not be finished with that family member that you've been praying diligently for. So don't stop praying for them. God is at work. Make the most of the opportunities that he will give you this Thanksgiving season into the Christmas season. Let's pray.